Good evening. Unrest in Haiti, a possible coup. Biden calls China and day two of Trump's impeachment. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, February 11th, 2021. Tear gas filled the streets of Port-au-Prince on Wednesday as clashes broke out between police and protesters who are calling for the resignation of Haitian President Jovenel Moise days after 23 were arrested in an alleged coup attempt. And despite Jovenel's terms expiring, he's acting as a dictator, said Louis Vanel Powell, one of the protesters. We the people will not accept this in our country. We will continue to protest until the end, until Joe Biden comes to take him from the power. Officials loyal to Moise claimed on Sunday they had foiled an attempt to murder him and overthrow the government in a coup. The dispute over when the president's term ends stems from Moise's original election. He was voted into office in a poll subsequently canceled after allegations of fraud and then elected again a year later in 2016. And President Joe Biden warned lawmakers Thursday that China is aggressively outpacing the United States on infrastructure. The comments came after Biden spoke with Chinese President Xi Jinping by phone Wednesday evening for the first time since taking office. Senior administration officials said in advance of the call, the president doesn't plan at this time to lift tariffs on China that were imposed by the Trump administration. Uh, Last night, I uh, I was on the phone for two straight hours with Xi Jinping. You all know as well as I do. These folks, uh, and it was a good conversation. I know him well. We spent a lot of time together over the uh, uh, over the years I was vice president. And uh, we don't get moving. They're going to eat our lunch. Officials said the phone call was aimed at signaling a new U.S. strategy, maintaining a core tenet of the Trump administration's policy, intense competition. But employees a dramatically different approach. One difference, say officials, will be an emphasis on gauging with United States allies, both in Europe and in the Asia Pacific. A spokesperson for the State Department is Ned Price. It is fair to say that when it is in our interest to cooperate and to work constructively together with Beijing, with the Chinese, we will do that. That will be our North Star, America's interests, America's values, and that will guide our interaction with the Chinese. After his remarks at the Pentagon on Wednesday, a reporter asked Biden whether he had any interest in punishing China over the nation's lack of transparency about the COVID-19 outbreak last year. I'm interested in getting the facts, Biden said, according to a report by The Pool. In his briefing today, the State Department spokesperson touched on the situation in Yemen. Biden had earlier reversed a Trump executive order naming the Houthis a terrorist organization, Price says. We made very clear that it has nothing to do with our view of the Houthis and their reprehensible conduct. We spoke forcefully um, and in no uncertain terms about their attacks on our partner, Saudi Arabia, which, as you alluded to, have continued uh, their kidnapping of American citizens, their malign influence throughout the region. We reiterated that the intent the secretary has communicated to revoke this broad uh, umbrella designation uh, instead is about those humanitarian implications. The fact that as a country, um, we do not want to do anything that would 
worsen the plight of the millions of Yemenis who live under uh, Houthi control. And again, it was the considered assessment of bipartisan members of the Hill, the United Nations, various humanitarian aid organizations that a broad designation would do just that. Ned Price is a spokesperson for the State Department. The United States still considers the Houthis, who rule 70 percent of Yemen, a threat to American allies, Saudi Arabia. But he says Biden fears the humanitarian crisis resulting from a terrorist designation for the group. And House Democrats prosecuting Donald Trump's impeachment said Thursday the Capitol invaders believe they were acting on the president's orders to stop Joe Biden's election. President Biden has been avoiding commenting on the Senate trial, referring to the proceedings as something in the province of Congress. But today he made a brief statement to reporters. I told you what I'm, I'm focused on. My job is to deal with the promises I made. And we all know we have to move on. Today, it's about jobs and infrastructure. Um, I, like other Americans, watched uh, uh, the news. I didn't watch any of the hearing live because I was going straight through last night till a little after nine. But I watched some this morning. I think the Senate has a a very uh, important job to complete. And I think uh, my guess is some minds may have been changed. In their attempt to change the minds of at least 17 Republicans, the number needed to convict Trump, House managers made their case today, saying the violence on January 6th was the culmination of the defeated president's pattern of spreading false and violent rhetoric that will continue tormenting American politics if left unchecked. House impeachment manager and Rhode Island Democrat David Cicilline. And president Trump incited a lawless mob to attack our process He was attacking our democracy. He was trying to become king and rule over us against the will of the people and the valid results of the election. For the first time ever in our history, a sitting president actively instigated his supporters to violently disrupt the process that provides for the peaceful transfer of power from one president to the next. Think about that for a moment. What if President Trump had been successful? What if he had succeeded in overturning the will of the people and our constitutional processes? Who among us is willing to risk that outcome by letting Trump's constitutional crimes go unanswered? The prosecutors described in stark personal terms the horror faced that day, some of it in the very Senate chamber where Trump's trial is underway. Uh, Several of the police officers had drawn their guns and had their guns trained on the door. You know, clearly that was, I didn't think there was anything else I could do. And and I didn't want to be there for whatever was about to occur. So I got to the top of the stairs. Uh, The stairway was was pretty packed. And right about that point, I don't know whether it was a police officer or somebody else said they're right behind us. Run. For me, the thing that I keep thinking about, uh, and again, there, there isn't a day that hasn't gone by since January 6th that at some point in the day I haven't kind of gone back and, 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 and picked at some little thing, but uh, the sound of those window panes popping, um, I, you know, I, I, I won't forget that sound. I won't forget that sound. How long will the sound of window panes breaking haunt this staffer? Rhode Island Democrat David Cicilline. They truly believe the whole intrusion was at the president's order, said Representative Diana DeJet of Colorado. The president told them to be there. She went on to introduce accounts by Capitol Police officers subjected to racist torments from the invaders.
I'm a black officer. There was a lot of racism that day. I was called racial slurs, and in the moment, I didn't process this as traumatic. I was just trying to survive. I just wanted to get home to see my daughter again. I couldn't show weakness. Final, I finally reached a safe place surrounded by officers. I was able to cry, to let it out, to attempt to process it. These extremist groups were emboldened because President Trump told them repeatedly that their insurrectionist activities were the pinnacle of patriotism. Well, let today be the day that we reclaim the definition of patriotism. Dijet adds, the evidence is clear the invaders knew they were at the United States Capitol because of President Trump. The insurrectionists argued with law enforcement that they shouldn't even be fighting them because they believed that the commander-in-chief was ordering this. This was the person's understanding. When President-elect Biden went on television that day to demand an end to the siege, one woman asked this. Does he not realize President Trump called us to siege the place? The examples of these types of comments are endless. Don't worry, I won't play all of them. But it wasn't just the words of the insurrectionists that proved that they did this in response to orders from their commander-in-chief. We can see this in the fact that they were not hiding. One rioter in a live stream at the Capitol said, quote, he'll be happy. We're fighting for Trump. Let's call Trump, yes! Dude, dude, let's tell Trump what's up. Trump would be very upset. He'd be like, no, just say we love him. We love you, bro. No, he'll be happy. What do you mean? We're fighting for Trump. She says intelligence agencies have informed Congress the events of January 6th will embolden Trump admirers to strike out against their perceived enemies and become more organized. Their perceived success has given them encouragement to continue and to escalate attacks. Intelligence agencies have also noted that these extremist groups will unfortunately be targeting vulnerable minority communities in the U.S. A January 27, 2021 DHS bulletin warned, quote, long-standing racial and ethnic tension of the sort that led to a man killing 23 people at an El Paso Walmart will continue to grow and motivate further attacks. The January 13 Joint Intelligence Bulletin report stated that in addition to the other types of violence listed, DVEs may be incited to carry out more violence. She adds key Trump supporters have been promoting the Capitol invasion as a victory for their hateful ideologies. One of those men was Cooey Griffin, the founder of Cowboys for Trump, who took part in the Capitol attack and was also arrested on January 17th. Here's what he said for his, about his plans for violence. You know, you want to say that that was a, a mob? You want to say that was a violence? No, sir. No, ma'am. No, we could have a Second Amendment rally on those same steps that we had that rally yesterday. You know, and if we do, then it's going to be a sad day because there's going to be blood running out of that building. But at the end of the day, you mark my word, we will plant our flag on the desk of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. 
blood running out of the building, this building, the Capitol, where all of us are right now. Now, the name Cooey Griffin may sound familiar because he previously faced controversy for a May 2020 video where he said, quote, the only good Democrat is a dead group Democrat. Hear it from him yourself. Where I've come to the conclusion that the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat. Now, when he said this, President Trump actually retweeted Griffin and thanked him for that sentiment. When Donald Trump retweeted this, he was no stranger to Griffin. In fact, in March 2019, over a year earlier, Griffin and Trump had spoken on the phone for nearly 30 minutes. Representative Diana Dichette of Colorado Five people died in the chaos and its aftermath, a domestic attack unparalleled in United States history. Commentator Paul Jay has an article on his blog, theanalysis.com, titled Trump Should Be Charged with Sedition and Treason. McConnell's role should be investigated. He says January 6th was an attempted coup by Trump, but without the military support usually seen in coups. The way they're telling the story is very effective. It's, uh, I think it's unusual for the Democrats to be as organized and effective as they are. Uh, the last impeachment hearings, I thought, were a distraction from the sorts of things Trump should have been impeached for. Uh, that being said, uh, they're doing a good piece of storytelling about what happened on the 6th. But I think they're missing the real issue here. Uh, I think January 6th, as violent and atrocious as it was, was the final act of an attempted coup, a failed coup. And why the Democrats are not telling the story and why mainstream media is not telling the story, I don't know, but it's all in mainstream media prior to January 6th, what seems to have happened here. And I'm talking about a letter from 10 former secretaries of defense that was in the Washington Post that essentially says that uh, they were concerned that there was was in progress or would be an attempted coup, uh, that Trump was going to lean on uh, acting Secretary of Defense Miller and get him to order the military to intervene and order a new election, which is what General Cerritos, he's the former Supreme Commander of NATO, he wrote a piece in Time magazine the same day supporting the letter from the 10 former secretaries of defense, where he also says that they believe or think that Trump is going to lean or has leaned on the acting secretary of defense. And he says he does not think that the acting secretary of defense has the temperament to stand up to Trump. He lauded the letter from the 10 secretaries of defense, but also from a statement by the Milley, the head of the Joint Chiefs, saying that the military needs to stay out of this election process. There was apparently an attempted coup where Trump was trying to get the military to intervene in determining the results of the election and preventing the inauguration of Biden. He refers to the fact that Trump's attempt to overturn the results in Georgia, quoting him now, must have sent a shiver down the spine of these former secretaries of defense. Why does Trump want to overturn Georgia so badly? It wasn't enough electoral votes to change the outcome. He just needed something 
in this delusional attempt to organize a coup, he had something to give it credibility. And if Georgia had found fraud, it would have given him something to stand on. Even the Republicans in Georgia wouldn't go along with this. And Paul adds his suspicions are focused on Mitch McConnell, the former Senate majority leader who wanted to discredit Trump as a Republican leader. If you know they're coming to storm the place and you don't set up an effective security uh, perimeter, then how can how can we conclude anything else? That you don't at the very least, you didn't mind, which means you wanted you wanted the place breached. And why? Because at this point, he knows the American Manufacturers Association. He knows the elites want Trump gone. And if these people uh, crash the place, Trump's going to be blamed for it because he made these, this speech inciting them. And it will help free the Republican Party of Trump. That was McConnell's hope. Even that didn't work. I'm calling this a failed coup within a failed coup. Trump's coup failed. And McConnell's coup failed because in the end, Trump is still the, the most important power broker in the Republican Party. Commentator Paul Jay has an article on his blog, theanalysis.com, titled Trump should be charged with sedition and treason. McConnell's role should be investigated. And returning to the Senate trial, Jamie Raskin described how Republican representative, now governor of Montana, Greg Gianforte, attacked a reporter for the Guardian newspaper to the delight of President Trump, who termed violent behavior by his allies as appropriate. We'll talk to you about that later. Yeah, but there's not going to be time. I'm just curious. If okay, you have speak with right Shane, please. But you don't. Sick and tired of you guys. The you last time you came thing. here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. The last guy did the same thing. You were the guardian? Yes, and you just broke my glasses. You last guy did the same damn thing. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. But Greg is smart. And by the way, never wrestle him. You understand that? Never. Any guy that can do a body slam, he's my kind. We did not initiate force against anybody. We're not nonviolent. We'll fucking kill these people if we have to. Well, I do think there's blame. Yes, I think there's blame on both sides. You look at you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides. And you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. The president praised a Republican candidate who assaulted a journalist as my kind of guy. He said there were, quote, very fine people on both sides when the neo-Nazis, the Klansmen, and Proud Boys invaded the city, the great city of Charlottesville, and killed Heather Heyer. And he said that an attack on a black protester at one of his rallies was very, very appropriate. Does that sound familiar? Listen to how President Trump responded when asked about his own conduct on January the 6th. So if you read my speech, and many people have done it, it's been analyzed, and people thought that what I said was totally appropriate. There the pattern is, staring us in the face. Very, very appropriate, he said after a man was assaulted at one of his rallies. Totally appropriate, 
was how he characterized his incitement on January 6th. Meaning that, of course, if given the chance, he would gladly do it again, because why would he not engage in totally appropriate conduct? Maryland Democrat Jamie Raskin. And in New York, more than 9,000 recovering coronavirus patients in New York State were released from hospitals into nursing homes early in the pandemic under a controversial order that was scrapped amid criticisms that accelerated outbreaks. The new number of 9,056 recovering patients sent to hundreds of nursing homes is more than 40% higher than what had been previously released by the state health department. And it raises new questions as to whether Governor Andrew Cuomo's March 25th directive helped spread sickness and death among residents, a charge his administration disputes. The new figures come as Cuomo as the Cuomo administration has been forced in recent weeks to acknowledge that the overall number of COVID-19 deaths among long-term care residents is nearly 15,000, up from the 8,500 previously disclosed. Cuomo's March 25th directive requiring nursing homes to take recovering COVID-19 patients was intended to free up space in hospitals swamped in the early days of the pandemic. It came under criticism from advocates for nursing home residents and their relatives for the potential to spread the virus in a state that had the time already had the nation's highest nursing home death toll and finally in sad news chick korea towering jazz pianist with a staggering 23 grammy awards who pushed the boundaries of the genre and worked alongside miles davis and herbie hancock has died he was 79 i remember fondly seeing one of his shows with return to forever and getting the opportunity to shake his hand korea died tuesday of a rare form of cancer his team posted on his website his death was confirmed by korea's web and marketing manager on his facebook page korea left a message to his fans I want to thank all of those along my journey who have helped keep the music fires burning bright. It's my hope that those who have an inkling to play, write, perform, or otherwise do so. If not for yourself, then for the rest of us. It's not only that the world needs more artists, it also just needs a lot of fun. A prolific artist with dozens of albums, Korea in 1968 replaced Herbie Hancock and Miles Davis's group playing on the landmark albums in a silent way and bitches brew he formed his own avant-garde group circle and then founded return to forever he's worked on many other projects including duos with hancock and vibraphonist gary burton he recorded and performed classical music standards solo originals latin jazz and tributes to great jazz pianists he was named a national endowment of arts jazz master in 2006 he lived in clearwater florida some of the news for Thursday, February 11th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City for the WBAI News. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>